sisters and brothers from different ethnic and cultural and racial backgrounds, being attentive to one another's stories and wounds and making places together in our pews, in our lives, more importantly, for people who are different from us, who together, because of the fittedness with which God has made us, together that we might be one, a reconciled people, giving glory to God together. And that doesn't happen Easily, that doesn't happen automatically. That happens only by the supernatural power and grace of God. And so we believe as a church that it's important for us to give some focus to this calling as part of our mission statement, as part of our joy as a church. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been working through different sermons. This is part four, the last installation of this Cross-Cultural Foundations series. Right after this sermon, we're going to have a special treat where as sort of an expanded Q&A time, we're actually inviting a few members of our cross-cultural planning committee, uh, a few additional people in addition to myself, who will field questions from you, both ones that you've submitted in the past, as well as questions that you are welcome to ask us even now, either in response to the sermon or questions that are just on your mind. So please feel welcome to be either jotting down questions or to be thinking of how to articulate them. We'll do an extended, lengthy Q&A time and conversation time right after the sermon, which will be brief, a brief sermon. So before we continue on and before we look at how cross-cultural life one day will be, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, and we acknowledge again and again and again, this time is for you. Yes, we want to learn. Yes, we want to grow. Yes, we want to be changed by your grace. Yes, we want to be attentive to your word. Yes, we want to walk in line with your righteousness and with your love, and yet even all of this, it's ultimately for you that you would receive from our lives, from our community, from our world, all that you deserve in our changed lives, in our listening and hearing, in our obedience, in our loving, in our becoming more like Christ. So this time is for you, and so we surrender ourselves to you now. We, we put ourselves beneath you, and we say, have your way with us. Move in our lives. Make your word powerful. Speak to us, and through this time, receive all praise and all glory as you deserve. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Don't you want to know? Well, here, as we heard it just read, the seventh chapter in Revelation, the Apostle John gives us a little glimpse This is a vision that God gave him, a vision of the consummation, the culmination of all of human history. And so what is that picture? What do we find in these short verses, this picture of heaven? I looked, John says in verse 9, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And as John gazes upon this this endless ocean of of people and, and people and more people, 
John notices something special, something amazing about this great multitude. They're not all the same. In fact, they are from every nation, tribe, people, and language. You see, the ethnic diversity of God's redeemed people is is not an afterthought or a footnote. In fact, when, when John notices the people that are populating heaven, it's just about the very first thing that he notices and that he mentions. It reflects a little bit of the priorities of God's own heart. Evidently, our ethnic and cultural and linguistic differences and particularities will not just be erased in heaven. You are, and you forever will be, Cambodian. You are, and you forever will be, Zimbabwean. Forever will be exactly who God made you to be made in his image, a unique reflection of the particularities of the glories of God embedded in you. Guess what? Heaven is a cross-cultural community, a world of of cross-cultural love and worship and unity. What's more, John also notices that this mixed multitude is now in heaven standing together, together. No more friction or fighting. And they're no longer sequestered either. Living in in, in separate communities, separate neighborhoods, rivers and railroad tracks no longer divide their communities or their churches. They're standing together, one people at last. And that's because they're standing where? Before the throne of God and before the Lamb. You see, that's the glue that bonds and binds God's different people together. It's not common nationality or political ideology or even religious identity. It's Jesus, people. It's Jesus. We need Jesus in order finally, to be one. And he is called the Lamb because he was, of course, sacrificed for our sins. A reminder that our unity is not easy. It comes at infinite cost to God himself. It's what it takes. The Lamb of God sacrificed for our sins. And that's why this great multitude, the people therein, are wearing white robes. They've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And now they're spotless, cleansed. One day cleansed, 
of all sin, which includes, of course, sins of, of ethnic contempt and partiality and hierarchy and supremacy and loveless indifference and apathy. I mean, we're so used to these tensions and evils and divisions, it's almost unimaginable to us here and now. In heaven, this picture we find in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, look, there's no more division here. No more hate or injustice. No more sinful hierarchy. These people are healed. You, if you're in Christ, will one day be healed of all racial wounds. That's why they're holding palm branches in their hands. This is an ancient symbol of victory. They have overcome every trial, every struggle with God's help. They have persevered to the end. And John tells us that this innumerable, this eternally diverse, this healed, reconciled people, they're all singing together. They're crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to whom? To our God, who sits on the throne and, and to the Lamb. You see, God is surrounded by our multicultural, multi-tonal, multi-lingual songs and praises, which is one reason why we sing in some different languages even on Sunday mornings here. Guess what? We're practicing for heaven. God made us. God rescues us. God reconciles us so God gets all the glory. He should now and he will forevermore. Beloved, it's, it's a brief picture. Two verses we're looking at. A few short minutes together. But this is a little glimpse of heaven. This is heaven. One day, someday, all that we just described will be true. And of course, on this side of heaven, here and now, cross-cultural community is hard. Sometimes it's even hurtful. So how does this vision of heaven, how, how does carrying this image, this, this portrait that we just painted before you with God's words, how does this vision of heaven help us to keep on keeping on? How does it help us persevere? How does it help you to keep going when you're just about ready to give up and give in? Let me point you to two things and then we're done. Two things. First, encourage one another with the hope of heaven. Encourage one another with the hope of heaven. Because do you get what this every nation, tribe, people, language, cross-cultural vision of heaven tells us? Do you get what it tells us? It's gonna happen. 
It's gonna happen. Not only in part, yes, now we get glimpses of it, pieces of it in part, but one day we're gonna get it in full. God is going to do it. Cross-cultural community is more than just an elusive dream. It's a divine guarantee. We need hope to persevere on this journey, don't we? And so we need to encourage one another with hope. We need to remind each other, look, your labor of love is not in vain. You're not wasting your time. You're not wasting your heart. You're not wasting your attempts to press in. Even when everything in your body and in your own flesh screams for you to run the other way. Heaven is near. Heaven is coming. Heaven is on its way. Tell each other we will make mistakes. But guess what? We cannot be defeated. Help each other carry this reassurance of heaven in your hearts. You know, we're all desperate for encouragement. That's generally true. Just in law, I mean, no one has ever been over-encouraged in their lives, right? But we're especially desperate for encouragement on this cross-cultural journey. We need it almost like food for our soul, sustenance to carry us along. Because so much of the dialogue around race today that we see in media or even in our own city, maybe it's the conversations even in your own hearts, can be so marked by condemnation and wrath. And yes, understandably so, because there's a deep woundedness that needs to be addressed. But yes, this journey can be tiring and hard, but we will not make it unless we encourage one another. And so even in the little ways, tell someone, hey, hey, I know you're trying. Thank you. Tell another person, I, I, I see you growing. I, I, I see you growing. I see where you were. I see where you're now. Or to tell them, it meant a lot to me to hear you say that. Or, or, or thank you for sharing your tears. Or, or this is hard, but, but I'm glad to be in this with you. Encourage each other cross-culturally in every way, and most especially with the hope of heaven. Second, pray. Pray. The second way this vision of heaven helps us to persevere in cross-cultural community is that it invites us to pray. Do you remember the words of the Lord's Prayer? Right in the middle there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. That means that heaven sets the pattern for how life in God's kingdom ought to be lived out here on earth. Sets the pattern for how life ought to be lived out on earth here and now. But that also means that growing cross-culturally here and now is one way that we show ourselves, one another, and the world. Show what heaven is going to be like. 
the church, our relationships are a little window into heaven. At least it's supposed to be. A a reflection, a a foretaste, a a, a preview of people of of every nation and tribe and, and language dwelling together in eternal love. We're giving glimpses snapshots of the life of heaven here and now. But listen, we cannot do any of that. We cannot be any of that apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. So we must pray. Because whatever is impossible with God, whatever is impossible with us, human beings, is possible with God, that's why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray because we don't have the power to change hearts, not even our own hearts. We pray because we don't have what God gives us, which is the power to actually reconcile us. Pray because cross-cultural community is a spiritual endeavor, a heavenly endeavor. Pray for cultural self-awareness. Pray for empathy. Pray for wisdom. Pray for repentance, softened hearts. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for the healing of deep wounds, for the rebuilding of broken trust. Pray for joy and laughter in the journey, because we ain't going to make it without laughter too. Pray for hope. Pray for encouragement. Pray for God to be glorified. Friends, there's a lot of talk about interracial harmony. There's a lot of talk about racial justice. Beloved, can we be a church where there's more prayer than there is talk? Which doesn't mean that there's not need for conversation, which doesn't mean that there's not need for action. But all of our action and all of our talking will be in vain if we're not desperately seeking the will of God and the grace of God. For ourselves, first and foremost, log spec, and the grace of God for one another through heartfelt, consistent prayer. I would love for one of the concrete applications of this time here today would be for one of you, or maybe a few of you to say, hey, I would love to lead a consistent prayer gathering. Could be short, but consistent prayer gathering across the remainder of this ministry year focused on our cross-cultural community development. Would love for somebody to be prodded, even right now by the Holy Spirit, to say, I want to help us to pray. Because we need to pray. Do you know that almost no books that I know of on multiculturalism and reconciliation, and even Christian books, and I've read a lot of them, I really have, discuss the necessity of prayer or spend more than a passing nod on the topic of prayer? Here's the question. Do we believe what Jesus says in John 15, 5? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And so we pray. And so we must pray with joy, with perseverance, and to the glory of God. Beloved, encourage each other. Beloved, pray. 
As we finish this four-week series on cross-cultural foundations, I want to close with the words of Romans 15, verses 5 through 7. It was read earlier, and by this point in this grand letter to the church in Rome, the apostle Paul is addressing the people there as a a mixed company of Jewish and Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. Apparently, sometimes, just like the rest of us, they would struggle with living in community together across their many differences. And so the apostle wrote them these words, almost like a benediction and a blessing. And so in closing, I give them also to you as a word of blessing. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Pray together with me. We want to give you glory. Give you all that you deserve, God. You who are yourself, unity and diversity. We want to give one another and the whole world a reflection, a beautiful reflection of who you are, unity and diversity, and give you praise by accepting one another and loving one another and being on a journey of healing and righteousness and justice together with one another, not despite our differences, but because of them to become ourselves glimpses, foretastes of heaven. Every tribe and language and nation and people gathered around the throne of God, giving glory to the Lamb. Make that so in our midst and help us to encourage one another and help us to pray. Even this is for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. You can stretch your legs for a second because now we want to transition into a bit of a community conversation. Like I said, we want to give you a chance to ask questions, maybe a question that's been on your mind. Uh, You can also use the QR code that you'll find in your bulletins and on the screens to submit a written question if that's easier for you. Uh, But we believe that to talk together is how we're going to grow together. And so this is something we want to do. As part of that, we want to invite uh, three additional members of the uh, cross-cultural committee uh, to come up front, and they're going to serve. I mean, panel, especially in a town like D.C., sounds a little bit too serious, formal. Uh, Of course, the the matter is serious, but we also don't uh, want it to feel too panel-y. These are your brothers and sisters, so uh, come on up front, uh, the three of you, and I'll introduce you all in a second, but let's talk together in a bit. All right, as we're getting set up here, one thing that we want to emphasize is that um, not only for myself, but for these three friends, um, we love them. 
and we're so grateful that they're willing to just bear the burden of trying to talk out loud some things that they're learning, some things that you're asking them about. And so, of course, we're inviting you to ask questions with care and respect, you know, not hurling things at strangers, but rather with respect and love for brothers and sisters. No one here is speaking as experts at all, right? but rather as learners ourselves. Um, this group of participants, it is intentionally diverse with these kinds of things. We want to be intentional. But we also want to emphasize that none of them are representing the views of an entire group or racial category for that matter. They're representing themselves, their own experiences, their own uh, views. Our goal here isn't just simply to answer or to perfectly resolve questions, but rather to promote continuing dialogue. And so we hope that this isn't like, oh, we're done with that issue here, but rather that it would prompt continuing conversation across our church. So the first thing I would love to do is um, have each of you just introduce yourselves, give us your name, and maybe a brief word on how you would describe your own cultural or ethnic background. And the reason why I'm doing that is so that even in our conversations, we're not assuming things about people, but we're hearing from themselves how they identify. So I'll just pass, actually, this microphone. We'll go with the other microphone, Ross. And we'll just go down the line. Okay. Hey, can you Hi. hear me? Oh, that is loud. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> uh, well, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Elizabeth. Um, my cultural background has been largely influenced by growing up in uh, the Southeast. Um, so I was born and raised, for the most part, in North Carolina. Um, my family is largely from smaller, more rural towns uh, in the eastern part of the state. So uh, my cultural heritage is largely shaped by that experience. Experience and uh, the experience of my parents growing up in that in a similar region. Yeah, thank you, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Good morning. Uh, my name is Klasse Baloy. I am. I consider myself Zimbabwean, um, but growing up, I, and when you grow up in Africa, you think more tribally. So I grew up thinking of myself in my tribal sense, and then as a Zimbabwean, more so when I came to America, ironically. But uh, that's how I see myself. Hey, everyone. Good morning, Oscar. Um, I grew up in, so I lived in Mexico for the first part of my life, then moved to Texas, um, and then have lived up here in the East Coast for a while now. So um, if I were to put, put a label on it, I would say Mexican-American. That's great. In, in no, you don't get it. <laughs> 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 No, I, I do want to add this. I'm sorry, I missed it. Yeah. My mom is American, African-American, so I do want to acknowledge the fact that I have, I've been in this country now for 27 years, and I have done a lot. I've been immersed uh, heavily in the African-American culture, so I do want to acknowledge that while I grew up in Zimbabwe, I do have um, a lot of... Ohio, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm from Ohio as well. Yeah, Zimbabwe in the distant land of Ohio. Um, 
That's, that's great, uh, which I think is a great example of the complexity of a lot of our stories and influences, which is important, because that's more the real deal, how it goes. Um, please be thinking about a question that you might want to ask that might include of the sermon specifically um, or of just um, different things related to this topic. Um, but just to prime the pump and get things rolling, I'm going to ask um, one question. Uh, prepared question. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, we asked a question um, in a, a card that we passed out on September 17th, and a lot of you gave responses, wonderful, helpful responses, and this was the question. What do you think are some key characteristics or ingredients of healthy cross-cultural community? So what makes for good just relationships across difference in a church that's trying to grow in inter Interracial, intercultural harmony, peace, healthy relationships, reconciliation, repentance, forgiveness, and so on and so forth. And this is what you came up with. Do you know what you said? Here are just a few of the words and phrases that you submitted. What are the key characteristics or ingredients of healthy cross cultural community? Empathy, active listening, space to ask questions, recognition that people can be hurt even if there's no intent to be hurt, to hurt. Reflection of our church's diversity in leadership and worship. Vulnerability, openness, respect. Opportunities to share testimonies of how God is at work through cross-cultural relationships. Being able to recognize and admit that you don't know everything, even if you're a person of color or think you're woke. Freedom to speak up about hurts that have happened. Honest sharing, humble listening, diverse leadership. Open, non-judgmental accepting, patience and grace towards others. Everyone feels comfortable being their authentic selves in a judgment-free zone. Humility, celebration, good communication, humility and honesty. Humbleness, honesty, honesty, patience, curiosity, space to be wrong and keep learning, room for different styles of worship, deep relationships of respect with people different from you, intentionally seeking out relationships with those who look least like you, not fear-driven, trust. Just a few of the answers. There were others. That's a sampling. Here's the question. What about you? What do you think... Uh, the three of you, uh, what comes to your mind? And it's okay if it's sort of underlining or repeating some of those answers. What would you say is a key characteristic or ingredient of healthy cross-cultural community? Go for it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think when I was thinking about this uh, and reflecting over the past couple sermons and just what you guys have said on uh, your comment cards, I think one of the characteristics I just kept coming back to was human humility um, and sort of a willingness and openness to learn and um, wanting to move towards people in relationship mm. and get get to know people for who they are and what has shaped them. Um, I think also we just have to be, we always have to be growing in our comfort level of like living and existing in tension. Mm. Um, tension's not always a bad thing. It can be uncomfortable, but um, I think the gospel calls us to um, to live in tension with uh, what we see in the world, uh, good and bad, and then what um, what is true. Uh, so just open, openness, a willingness to live in that tension, lean into it, recognize that it's not always a bad thing, um, and just, yeah, approaching people with humility and respect. Thank you, Elizabeth. 
So, Duke, in honor of your love, your love for making different points, I'm going to make three points. <laughs> as long uh, as they're quick. No, they'll, they'll be quick. Um, I gave this some thought, and I think three things come to mind. And I think, first and foremost, awareness. Hmm. I think one of the reasons why we do this is because we, we, we are aware of the lack of, of the divisions and the harmony, hmm. the, the lack of harmony that has existed. If we... If, we, if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have to do this. A lot of people, especially in groups uh, that are homogenous, tend to, be, to lack awareness of the fact that there is some division or there is some um, education required. Um, the second thing I think is a good ingredient is interest. Hmm. Showing interest in other people. When you know that somebody is different from you, Ask them about themselves. Mm. Say, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Don't make assumptions. There are a lot of assumptions that can be made in a city like D.C. because most of us are highly educated or educated in the same, same social classes. We have a lot of those things in common. But a lot of us don't have a lot in common once we leave this building. And so I think one of the ways that we can grow it, knowing one another is actually being aware that, hey, I might want to know something about you or you or you. Um, and then finally, um, sharing. Um, not just, I show interest in you, but you share something about yourself with me. You know, so I think one of the things that's, that we need to grow in as well is just being open. You know, open to who we are, open to saying, hey, you know what, I want to share something with you. And um, one of the biggest things that I've really, that touched me the most was when we used to do online sermons and I, I noticed Duke had the big Zimbabwe thing on, his, on the back of his on wall and I was like, wow, I can't believe that. But that's just a... a, 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 a I did give it to him. But, you know, <laughs> but it was touching and it was something that I shared. You know, I'm just, mm. I'm just saying, you know, mm. it was something that I shared with him mm. and, and, and an effort to, to really share some part of my culture and my heritage with him. And I think that that's an ingredient that I would advise others to do as well. Uh, so, yeah, similar, similar words, I think maybe a little bit, um, just a slightly different uh, take on it. So I think self-awareness is really important. Um, I, think it's, I think it's just really critical to be aware of, you know, what in my upbringing, what in my family background, what in my own culture uh, is affecting how I see the world, mm -hmm. how I see other people, how I'm coming to this interaction, right? Um, so... And this goes for for everybody. This isn't you know. This is for every, for me for for everybody. Um, and you know how how you know how does my status in a particular situation as part of the majority or the minority affect how I'm interacting then, how I'm hearing things, how I'm interpreting what I hear. So I think just just being self-aware uh, and 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 kind of keeping kind of like keeping that in mind as you as you have. Um, Interactions, especially I think when maybe when they're a little bit more difficult or a little bit new in kind, I think is is helpful. Uh, and you know, I don't you know I don't think it needs to be like a taxing thing. Where, but I think it, but I think just kind of maybe even later on being like, oh, you know, I heard this. I wonder how my own culture is affecting how I heard that. Really helpful. Thank you so much, Oscar. 
would love to take a live question, um, a question from any one of you. Feel free to raise your hand and voice them. Again, it can be about the sermon. It could be about past sermons. It could be about just inviting some response or perspective from these three friends. But what questions are on your mind? Abby. So the question is, how, how can we um, grow cross-culturally in our interactions beyond, so as church to other churches or beyond just as a larger expression of Christ and his people at large? Last week, the bulletin insert question was, um, what practical ideas do you have about what you would love to see our church do? One thing that came up on two or three occasions was partnerships with other churches in our neighborhood, whether with a black church or with an immigrant church. So I think that, and partnership can be a a, a funky word, I think just building relationships intentionally with other congregations, I think is what you're um, talking about and describing. I do think visiting and worshiping with other brothers and sisters in Christ in a certain locale as part of a relational thing, but also as a discipleship thing, that we are growing in our understanding of, oh, people that are not like me might worship different from me, but still worship the same God, right? And to experience that and to feel that, I think is an important, an, an important um, step in that direction. That's a great question. Any other questions? Noah. Uh, one of the Wonderful question. So oftentimes in interracial dialogue, the burden is often placed on minorities uh, to propose solutions, to represent entire groups, to be the ones explaining racism and so on and so forth. So a wonderfully wise and sensitive question, Noah, thank you for it, is what, how, how can a community uh, engage without placing that burden on minorities, on people of color in the community um, in, a, in, a, in a way that's too much? So I want to turn that over to you guys. Not all three of you have to answer, but you may jump in if you'd like to. But what would you guys say to that question? What did you say, Oscar? <laughs> I would just say that um, that goes back to what I said about awareness and understanding what the climate is like. Um, you know, I guess recently, you, in the last two or three years, you've heard the use of the word allies um, to to describe sort of this group of people within the majority culture who have become more sensitive to what's been going on with the minority culture. Um, I don't want to go the political route on that, but I would say that part of our growth 
within this church would be to be ambassadors of that sort of allied mindset where you can grow in your knowledge and understanding of what what it is that we're all a part of and um, and really take it from there. I, I think one thing that comes to mind for me is um, maybe not leading your first interactions or the first part of your interactions with you know, people of color, ask, you know, by asking them to explain what it's like to be a person of color or where they're from, or you know, you know, did they grow up speaking, you know, English? Um, you know, maybe get to know the person a little bit before you, if you, before you jump into some of the cross-cultural questions, right? So get to know them before you start asking them to explain their worldview to you. That's good. Uh, yeah, I think. Just to build off of what you just said, like I do think such a key element to all of this and to having healthy cross-cultural conversations is establishing trust and moving towards people in relationships. So yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you just said. But yeah, just leaning on leaning on trust and vulnerability and um, an openness and a willingness to kind of sacrifice your own preferences mm, is mm. probably a good thing too, but mm, yeah. That's good. I mean, I think even raising that question, Noah, itself acknowledging that that is often the case is a huge step in the right direction. In fact, if you've been in a, in a neighborhood group, a life group, and you've been going through the sermon discussion guides, you know that that's something we explicitly write and communicate in the introductions. Please recognize that minority members of small group discussions on topics around race often feel that burden of being the only one, da 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 and so even acknowledging that I think is a big step in the right direction um, in addition to the wisdom shared here. Let me actually uh, turn to one question that was submitted online earlier and it's a, it's a long question so let me read it for you and then I'm going to try to uh, take a stab at this before we go back to the live questions. I know there are a few Okay, yeah, so let, let, me, let, let me come back to the live questions. There were a couple over here as well. Um, so we'll do this one, and then we'll come back, and we'll keep on going back and forth. All right. So here's the question. Obviously, it's a long one. Obviously, there is a lot of past and present reality to the cultural differences between and around us. And racial discrimination is certainly a very real part of our history and present in the U.S. and elsewhere, inside the church and outside. But racial and ethnic categories are also scientifically dubious and discredited in many ways, and themselves were often based in very racist impulses. So, how do we think about these things in the church without giving further credence to junk science around quote-unquote innateness of things that aren't always innate? Again, parenthesis, not saying these ideas haven't created present realities. Similarly, what is the balance between acknowledging these things and trying to address and repair where appropriate while also aiming for unity? To what extent should these differences be obliterated or subsumed in the church, not by whitewashing or denying the beauty of the diversity, but by somehow superseding it? Seems a parallel contrast here with how we talk about social differences, where we often emphasize the way church transcends these differences more. Final parenthesis, appreciate how thoughtfully GMH is approaching these questions and recognize that we have a denominational history of not fully acknowledging or wrestling with them. <laughs> so we'll be having a, a six-hour forum next week to unpack this, right? So let me, let me give you a 60-second response to this. So it is important to acknowledge historically and sociologically that racial categories are, as people like to point out, a social construct. 
right? So the Bible actually does not recognize white, black, Latino, Asian as such, right? But actually those categories were created as a, a, in an artificial way of dividing people and historically created for racist reasons in order to say you are not us and we will treat you differently from us. What the Bible does acknowledge though, however, is ethnicity. We just read one such passage that talks about people of a great multitude of every nation. So the Greek word behind that word nation is ethnos. So you can hear the word ethnicity. So it's not just talking about geopolitical nations, like what country are you from? It's talking about groupings of people that are defined by cultural and linguistic sort of categorization, right? So ethnic groups, language groups, tribes was another word that was used there, right? So the Bible does acknowledge there are real differences and there is a me and a you. What I would like to propose is Sometimes acknowledging difference, whatever terminology we use, it's not sinful to use the human-created racial categories as long as we understand where they came from. And it's not divisive to refer to, to each other as differently ethnicized people either as a way for us to disentangle the way in which race and racism has mixed us all up. So we're using these distinctions in order to address how we can be more one. And where I think we can draw the template is from God's word itself. So the Bible doesn't go straight to, we're not different, we're one. It addresses us as Jews and Gentiles and other. So it names difference and uses the labels and categorizations of their day, even references the ways in which those have been distorted to hurt and harm Right? So last week, Ephesians 2, those who call themselves the circumcision and the uncircumcision, right? So near slurs that were being used to describe Gentiles by the Jewish people at that time. So sometimes we can use these words as a way to pursue healing, to understand that we are actually different, to actually embrace ethnicity and culture as a way that we are significantly shaped as long as we don't make those things themselves into an idol. I do think there's a way to use conversations like this as a way of just more stubbornly making wounds worse. I'm raising this just to wallop you over the head or to tell you how terrible you are or to address it to absolve myself and to prove my innocence, right? All these ways in which we don't actually enter in humbly with a posture of listening and so on and so forth. But I think if we still wait humbly and knowledgeably through these categories, they still can be a helpful way to aid our conversation, to identify ourselves, to identify areas of woundedness and difference towards our growth. That is a so quick answer to so many dimensions of this and not even touching on all of them, but I did want to honor one of the questions that were submitted online. Okay, more hands. What do we have over here? Christina, go ahead. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Yes, yeah. Would anyone like to respond to that comment? Could you summarize the question? No. <laughs> there were a couple couple uh, features to it. Christina was talking about um, how important, helpful, crucial it is to have a picture of what the goal is, this vision, this picture, to see the beauty of what it is, not just to talk about the nuts and bolts of the thing, how do we do this, but rather to see this heavenly vision. So number one, how helpful um, that is. And then secondly, also just the, the comment about it not boiling down to just a matter of mere differences, but actually power, uh, the way in which our differences are used in order to negotiate power, establish power, and then not your language, but also then to subjugate those who are in fact different. And so she was making uh, those uh, pair of observations. Yeah, Klasse, go ahead. I want to talk about the second one, but also go back to the question that you read. Um, yeah. I think the, the one thing that I think when you, when you read about that and when people say, let's just sort of like erase all these differences, I think that one of the things that, for me at least, I feel like it's important, first of all, to get it right in the house of the Lord and mm. to get it right in here mm. and not to assume that everybody is in, who's in here is totally not like, like there's no need for that, right? The reason why I say that is because I'm still a black person and when I leave out of here, I'm still going to be black and then I have to have a certain level of education about the environment that I'm in. Mm. So like, for example, when I was with, my, with Akite one day, she parked, you know, outside of Target in a way that maybe we shouldn't have been parked out there. And I, and I was like, I'm not going to park out here because I'm afraid that, you know, I'm, if I break the law, it's going to have tougher ramifications on me, right? Yeah. And that's just a, a reality that I work with. Mm, you're right. And I'm not, and I'm not going to just come out and be like, well, you know what, because, you know, Everybody in church is, is, is trying to get along with me. What about all the people outside of the church? What about all the places that I have to go in my daily life? So I think it's important for us as a church to, to, to recognize, to some extent, in smaller ways, we also have our biases and we have a lot of things that go on that make it such that we're not united totally as much as we could be. So I think that's one of the things that I wanted to address as well. And then yeah, yeah. I was going to just piggyback on what she said about the power dynamic that goes along with that. It's yeah. not that, you know, that we can't all get along. It's just that sometimes in some situations, especially when you're from like somewhere like, like me being from Africa and you go places and you see, you know, if you're 
in a, a room full of Africans talking about the politics of the world and how Africa is at the bottom. You know, you're, you're, that's how we're raised. That's how we see the world, that we're at the bottom. And so, you know, and then you, you look at certain realities. There are certain realities that are out there that are just global and that as the church, we haven't distinguished ourselves enough historically mm. as far as being different. You know, even when you talk about slavery and talk about all these things, the church, you, you, you know, I, I give credit to abolitionists and say, hey, you know what, we can't say that Christians were not involved in the abolition of slavery. Right. But at the same time, the practice was going on with people who were God-fearing, right? Right. So I think just putting that out there, like... That's great. Thank you so much. But what we want to know is, why you got to drive, bring, bring your wife's driving into this, man. You're like, no, no, no. You're going to create some other problems of reconciliation for yourself. Um, <laughs> um, we love you, Kite. Other questions? Yeah, Christine. Can you repeat it one more time? So repentance. Yeah. So what that looks like, what that should be like. Yeah. Open-ended thoughts about repentance as related to members of the majority culture. So white brothers and sisters. Um, it, it, it sounds like an open-ended question, but if you have any thoughts or comments about that practice, that nature, that call. No, go ahead. <laughs> go for it. No, I, I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any others? You do? I'll think about it. It's a hard question. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah, we'll create another six-hour seminar next yeah. week. Right, right. That's great. I mean, I feel like I've been talking a little more than I'd like, but okay. Go ahead. Um, as far as the majority culture, I, th I think what I would, my experience. So my experience, I've been at this church since this day it started, right? So I'm still here, hmm. and um, I think. What I would say is that I have a great appreciation for what I have learned, right? I am a minority, but I also am always around other minorities, right? So when I come to Grace Meridian Hill, this is the, this is the biggest diverse community that I have in my life, right? Outside of my regular life. I think I have, so I have learned a lot. But I think th the one thing I would say is that I don't know that, and you know, what I learned was that if I didn't speak up, the things that I desire and the things that I'm interested in would not be the de facto things that we do. So when we first had, uh, in the early days of our church, we used to do a meet and greet, uh, meet and eat, I think it was, and every week it was like, everybody wants to go to pho. Like for 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 every week, and I don't I don't really like for right, and, and I just don't really, you know, it's not my thing, right? But to to go along with the group, you know, I'm going to mm. eat at these places all the time, mm. 
but I, I don't, I'm just going along with the group, right? So I think that's what I meant by like, maybe majority people, if you see somebody who's not a member of the majority or, you know, the, maybe they, I know that among white people there are subcultures, right? And so we don't want to make the assumptions that everybody's just the same. But I think I try to educate people and say, hey, let's go to this place or let's go eat soul food or let's go to this African restaurant. I mean, I've done that quite a few times, but I think, um, yeah, just just opening yourselves up to to the fact that there are different people around you and that may have different tastes. Um, yeah, I think the one thing I'll say is that I don't know if anyone else has experienced this. I have. I think um, I think in the past, maybe not verbally expressed, but maybe like an implicit understanding, especially in a majority culture, is that the work of repentance is sort of kind of like a one-time thing, mm -hmm. or like the work of repentance has like already been done, and like maybe now it's time to move on to something else. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I just don't think that's the model that we see biblically. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think we're called to a perpetual practice of repentance and belief and, like, completely naive to think that, like, the work of repentance is over. I mean, just on this side of the new heavens and the new earth, like, we are continually called to practice repentance and, like, yeah, that's the one thing I'll say to that is, like, that's, that's going to be our call over and over and over again. Like, the work never stops there and that's going to be continually continually pressing into repentance is so important for us as we continue on in these conversations. Um, I think I had one more thing, but maybe, maybe it's just gone. Yeah. But yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. I think, I mean, it's a great question, um, Christine. <laughs> And a very broad, um, open-ended question um, with lots of fruitful conversation. That I think part of what I would um, say, just maybe two quick thoughts, is one is um, it is vital and crucial for us to grow in repentance together and understand that repentance among different groups and parties may not always sound or look the same. What I mean by that is um, one of the problems, I think, in the rec racial reconciliation movement in the last 30 years is this assumption that there's equal shared and symmetrical responsibilities as we come to one another in community. And so, hey, we're going to reconcile. So that means okay, I, I have something to repent. That must mean you have something to repent. And, and I, I have done something wrong. Yeah, okay, where's yours? As if every engagement in reconciliation is a 50-50 exchange, which, of course, just makes it transactional. That's its own problem. But I do think it's important to understand that everyone different groups, histories, families that we embody might have a different kind of repentance that sounds different, that's practiced a little bit differently, and that's true of white and majority culture Christians as well. Secondly, I'll also say it's really important for us not to equate repentance with shame. And let's be clear, this generation has no clue about what that difference is, right? Because there is a lot of unhelpful, sinful, often straight evil shame that is heaped on white brothers and sisters in a way that's more destructive than it is actually healing, that's more counterproductive than it actually leads to reconciliation. The church needs to do better. That means folks of color 
This is your question. Are you conducting yourself in a manner that by the grace of Christ makes room for the repentance of a person different from you? Of a, say, a white brother or sister, or of a person that's just different from you, but still a person of color? Are you making room for, are you gracious enough to make it an invitation? Is that the posture of your own life, instead of just walloping a white brother or sister and saying, why aren't you repenting already? So I want to acknowledge that. The current cultural conditions have made it hard for people to repent, because you'll just get canceled anyway, or you'll come out even more wounded and less resolved anyway. The third comment I'll say on, on this particular topic is, I think in my experience as I've walked with a lot of you all, and as I've been in dialogue and conversations with a lot of different kinds of people, is that one of the hardest things for our majority culture sisters and brothers is the notion of corporate repentance, right? So the idea that you can actually bear the burden of sins that you might be implicated in, even if you personally did not commit them, right? And so whether if it's conversations around reparations or if it's just conversations around reconciliation, oftentimes the response is, well, I never owned slaves or I wasn't alive during the civil rights era or I didn't do that, as if the Bible doesn't actually have a category for a we. Christians should be the first people that can talk in plural pronouns. We, we, we. Reformed covenantal Christians all the more so. We. That doesn't mean that you as a white Christian bear the burden of all past sins that have been committed in the name of whiteness or by every white Christian individual. That's not what we're saying. But it does mean we all together bear the burdens of the past. And it does mean there might be a particular way in which a white person should be self-aware, to use that language, in entering into conversations around repentance and lament that might be unique to a person that might be perceived to be white. And so that's a lot of stuff in there, and it's complicated. It's why we have to do this in community. Um, but I want to offer both mercy as well as invitation. Okay, I saw other hands. Let me close us, though, with one final question for these three friends uh, before we thank them for their time and being up here. But let's do this um, as we transition towards communion. And maybe this relates a little bit uh, to the sermon um, that points us to heavenly hope. What helps you to persevere in cross-cultural community and not give up? How do you keep going? What would you say? Uh, well, I think, uh, Christina, you and I are kind of on the same page. But, um, yeah, as I was thinking about this before we started, I just, I think I just kept coming back to, like, the only way we do this and labor towards this is in light of what we get to look forward to. Um, and so, like, that vision of what it means to be a cross-cultural community, like, fully restored mm. um, and in perfect unity in Christ is the only thing that can really give us like true hope that the work here is like worthwhile and like our call. So, um, and what I'm not saying <laughs> is that that vision or like us looking forward to that, like should, what I don't want that to mean is that then we feel like we don't need to do that here because right. like we're right. going, we're going to get it later. Um, that should actually be the foundation mm -hmm. of why the church is striving for that and should be like a model and example for that. Um, so that kind of gospel hope that we get in the 
this vision of restoration is kind of where, where I landed. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, for me, I would say that love keeps me here. Mm. Um, the gospel keeps me here. And then prayer. I think that I, I, I want, well, I hope you know, I, I love all of you guys. I really <laughs> love, I really love this church. And I really love the people that are here. And the people that I have great relationships with. Um, the, the, just the lessons that I've learned about what it means to to really try to to divest myself in many instances of this person that you see on the outside and trying to persevere to be godly and to love God's people every day. I believe that there have been times, of course, when I felt like I wasn't being nourished in a way that, you know, from a connectivity standpoint, or I felt mm -hmm. like people didn't understand me. And that's hard to go through, but I believe that God answered my prayers. I remember when the Yanceys first came, I felt like that was an answer to prayer for me, mm. to have people that understand everything I'm talking about. You know, brothers and sisters from Africa who come and we talk and we joke and we understand things in a much broader sense. Um, but I've, I've really, um, in terms of what, Elizabeth saying the higher calling. I feel called to be here. Um, I feel like the pastor. I have a great relationship with you, and I feel like you know you're like a brother to me, a big brother to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've I've kind of grown to love the community, grown to understand that even though I'm a minority within this community, I have work to do that it has nothing to do with who I am and what I've come from, but it's the work of the Lord. And that is an independent work that, that I need to be focused on. And that even though in, in my weaknesses and in my times when God has seen that I have struggled and where I want to be understood better as, a, as who I am, he's provided those individuals that come and they just give me a boost. I don't need them to be around me 24-7, but just give me a boost. Just help me to feel understood as who I am. And so that has helped me tremendously. Um, Thank you. I, I, I think what I would say is um, it it is possible. It can be done. Hmm. Um, and I don't think I, I don't think it's as maybe hard as we think it is, but it will take some work. Um, and I think I don't know. But, uh, you know, God wants us to do it, and I think we should strive for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. We 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 are committed to this work, but it's a work that requires all of your participation. So we're so grateful, really. What we're trying to model here is just the way that we can talk through things, work through difficult things, and grow with deeper maturity as a matter of discipleship. This isn't just a sort of a sideshow kind of um, eccentric thing, that, but this is like core gospel discipleship um, as we understand it biblically. And so we're so grateful to do this with you and so grateful for these three friends. And so can you please thank you, uh, thank them with me. Thank you guys so much.